Irony is defined as an outcome of events, listen to this, an outcome of events contrary or opposite of what was expected. Now listen to that again. Irony, the definition of irony, it is defined as an outcome of events contrary or opposite of what was expected. Let me give you some real life examples of irony today. These are true stories. Let me give you some examples to help us understand what irony is. Statistics show the most shoplifted book in America is the Bible. That's irony. Here's another one. Gary Keene, he's a multimillionaire. Uh, he's the founder of Match.com. Uh, when he started his, his company, uh, his website, to increase the volume there, that he encouraged everybody to join it. He encouraged all of his friends to join it. Uh, his girlfriend left him for someone that she met on Match.com. <laughs> True story. Here's another. The speech disorder of not being able to pronounce the letter R is called rhoticism. It starts with an R. You can never tell people what you have. Listen to this one. This is pretty good. A double-blind survey of 1,000 women and 1,000 men, they surveyed them, they asked them a set of questions. A double-blind survey of 1,000 women and 1,000 men found that women spend more time thinking about what men are thinking about than the time that men actually spend thinking. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I don't think so. Here's, here's another one. I thought this was pretty good. A guy named Jim Fix, he was an avid runner. He wrote this book called The Complete Book of Running, a, a worldwide wide bestseller. The Complete Book of Running, telling of all of the health benefits of running. Jim Fix died at age 52 of a heart attack while running. Now, here's what's more ironic than that. It was still a bestseller after that. I got rid of my copy right after that. And then here's this last one, and it's just an ironic statement. Uh, I came across it, and I guess I'm weird, and it just made me laugh, and so I couldn't pass up uh, this ironic statement. Here it is. I'm not an optimist, but someday I hope to be. That's ironic. Today we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of Luke, and as we move to these last events of the life of Jesus, we're going to see today three great ironies. Our message today is entitled, Oh, the Irony. Oh, the Irony. We're in Luke chapter 22, today verses 2 through 6. Luke chapter 22, today verses 2 through 6. Again, oh, the irony. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 22, beginning here in the second verse. It says this. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for you today. I'm thankful that, that a gracious and kind and yet powerful and marvelous Savior, Jesus, tells us that he stands at the door and knocks and if anyone will hear their, his voice and open, he will come in and fellowship and dine with them. Lord, I'm thankful for your grace. I'm thankful for your mercy shown to us as sinners. Lord, I, I pray as we come today that we would marvel at your truth, that we would be astounded, we would marvel at your gospel. I pray today as we look at these verses that you would speak to us and it would be a truly supernatural event that you would communicate with us through your word. Lord, I pray that we would be changed today. I pray that we might be encouraged today, maybe convicted today. I pray for some in this very room that do not have a relationship with Christ. I pray, Lord, that they would be saved today. Lord, we come and we trust all this to you. We give it to you as an act of worship. We tell you we love you and we truly do worship you and praise you. We submit this to you and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we move through these last three chapters of the Gospel of Luke, these vitally important last three chapters. Let me just go ahead and tell you, and I'm probably going to say this a bunch as we move through these chapters. My prayer is that we would see the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as never before. And that's, that, is, that is my prayer. As we look at these verses, as we're thinking about these verses, as, as a church, as we move through this, that we would see his death and his burial and his resurrection as never before. I, I believe this could carry a great impact for us as his followers. Let me, let me just tell you, I, I watch people today and it seems these words have become cold. These words have become mundane. Yes, he, he died and he was buried and three days later he's risen. Listen, I'm praying that as we move through this study that there will be a great lasting impact for us, his followers. My, my hope is that we would truly be changed seeing these events in a closer light. Well, today, think about this. We come to some really pretty simple verses, aren't they? We come to some pretty straightforward verses, really maybe perhaps verses that we've read and we pass through to get to the other parts of the story. Some pretty straightforward verses. And yet today in these verses, as we begin this process, I want us to see three points of irony in these verses. I want us to see the irony of the Jewish leaders. I want us to see the irony of Judas and then last, I want us to see the irony of Satan. And so we're going to approach our verses today, these verses, through these lenses. The irony of the Jewish leaders, the irony of Judas, and then last, the irony of Satan. So first we begin today looking at the irony of the Jewish leaders. Let's look at verse 2. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him, Jesus, to death, for they were afraid of the people. Listen to that again. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. The verse says this, the chief priests and the scribes were seeking. Now, what that means is this, they were considering, they were plotting how they might put Jesus to death. It says, for they were afraid of the people. Now, understand this. 
They weren't trying to kill him because they were afraid of the people, but rather they were being careful. They were being considerate in how they would kill him because they were afraid of the people's response. And so well, it wasn't that, hey, we're afraid of the people, so now we must kill him. No, they, they were being careful in how they would kill him because they were concerned about the people's response. In the book of Mark, it says that they were afraid that they would be, there, there would be a riot from the people. And so first see this. At this point, they had decided to kill Jesus. That wasn't the issue. They were determined to kill Jesus. They were determined that Jesus must die. They were resolved at this point that Jesus would die. That wasn't the issue. Understand that. The issue was how he would die. Now, see the irony in this. Here they are, these chief priests, these scribes, and they had determined Jesus would die. They were considering how Jesus would die. Now see the irony in this. The chief priests, these were the religious leaders of the Jewish people. They, they were God-called representatives. Do you understand that? These were, these were folks that were called by God. They were, they were from the tribe of Levi. Not only that, many of them could trace their lineage all the way back to Aaron himself, the very first high priest. And so understand, these aren't just random people. These are, these are the Jewish leaders. These are the religious leaders. These are folks that, that were from the tribe of Levi. that had a special calling. These were the people that had their lineage go all the way back to Aaron himself. These were the religious leaders. Now, I don't know that we understand the heaviness of that. These were the religious leaders. The scribes, these were the ones who meticulously copied word by word, in fact, letter by letter, the word of God. That's what a scribe did. That's, that's how a scribe spent their life. They were, they were, they were consumed. It was their calling to, to, to copy the word of God letter by letter. They copied the, the sacred word of God. And here they have it, and they would, they would make another copy by, by copying it letter by letter. Well, because they were so familiar with it, they were considered experts in it. Now, that, that just seems to make sense. They were considered even teachers of it. And so if somebody were to come along and they were to ask the question, where does it say this? Well, who would you ask? A person that had spent their life copying it. Or, or where does it say such and such? I, I need to know where it says such and such. Well, these people would say, well, they had spent their life copying it, so they were familiar with it. And so they could say, it's actually found right here. They were considered experts, teachers, authorities in the word of God. Now here's the irony. Of all living people, they should have been the ones most looking for the Messiah. Do you understand that? These chief priests, these scribes, these experts in the word of God, of all the people that were living on the earth, they should have been the ones best able to identify the Messiah. 
Here's where he's going to come from. Here's his lineage. Here's where he'll be born. Here's where he'll travel after that. Of all the people, these should have been the people that could have identified Jesus. Really, these should have been the people most ready to receive Jesus. Think about that for a second. Of all the people... They, they had the scriptures. They had the word of God. They were, they were aware, acutely aware of their sin because of the, the, the sacrificial system that they were under, the law that they could never keep. They held the, the words of the prophets pointing to the, the coming of a Messiah, the Savior of God. Of all people, these should have been the people ready to receive Jesus Christ as the Messiah. That's him. God's anointed Messiah, that's him. Of all people, they should have been able to identify more than that. They should have been the people to receive Jesus as the Messiah. Yet verse two says this, of all people, these were the ones that decided to kill Jesus. Is there a truth in that? Of all people, these were the ones they should have been looking for Jesus. And of all people, these were the ones who had determined he will not live. Here's the truth in that. And listen very carefully, it's the same today. We do not, and maybe I should say we should not, or maybe better yet, we dare not, evaluate the situation according to people. Now listen to what I'm saying here. We, we do not evaluate the situation based upon people. Now what that means is this. We are not led. We are not swayed. We are not devoted to popes or to preachers. They can be wrong. They can lead us astray. What this means is this. We go right to the source ourselves. We go to the word of God, our Bible. Friends, let me tell you something right here. My only platform as your preacher, my only validity as your preacher, my only benefit to you as your preacher, and thus my only calling as your preacher is to preach the word of God alone. And you should not listen if that's not what I'm doing. Paul says this, preach the word in season and out in season. Paul says this, if I or somebody else or if, even if an angel should come and if they should preach anything but this gospel, let them be accursed. Listen, even if an angel shows up and preaches something other than the word of God, let them be accursed. You don't listen to them. Of all people, they should have recognized and received Christ. And the great irony is this, these religious leaders were the ones who called for his death. So we see the irony of the religious leaders. Second irony we see is that of Judas. That of Judas. Let me read verse three. And Satan entered into Judas, listen to all this, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the 12. Now Luke is going to great detail to clearly identify this Judas. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the 12. See this. Satan entered Judas, who was called Iscariot. 
That's added so you would know with certainty which Judas. Now, why, why is that? I think it would be because otherwise it might be hard to believe. That Judas? Are you sure that Judas? No, listen, Judas Iscariot. He wanted us to have certainty of which Judas it was. Not only that, it says who was one of the 12. The Bible says he belonged to the number of the 12. What that means is there are 12 and he is one of the 12. He is one of them. That Judas Iscariot, one of the 12. See this today. That Judas Iscariot was chosen by Christ. Do you realize that? That Judas Iscariot saw all of the miracles, miracle after miracle after miracle. He's not wondering. He sees the miracles. That Judas Iscariot. That Judas Iscariot hears the claims of Christ. And today fulfilled for you in your hearing is this teaching, I am the Messiah. He hears the claims of Christ. He sees the scriptures as they're fulfilled in front of him. They're laid out. He hears the teachings of Jesus. That Judas Iscariot, he, he traveled with Jesus. That Judas, he traveled with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard his teaching. Can you imagine that? That Judas. Now what does he do? Verse four. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him, Jesus, to them. How sick is that? How Profoundly sad is that. Not, not one of these heartless leaders, not one of these in great envy, not some staunch enemy of, of Christ, but this one, one of the 12, that one, that Judas Iscariot, one of the Lords. He goes to make a deal that he might betray Jesus. In these events, the events that we're going to pass through the next three chapters, these events recorded in, in, in the gospel accounts, in these events, there are two words that we find applied to Jesus. Now, here he is. He's the king of kings. Here he is, the savior sent from God. Here he is, the perfect lamb of God. He has never sinned. Here he is, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things that holds together because he holds it together. And yet in these events, these two words are applied to Jesus. The first one is this, abandoned. Jesus was abandoned. Now what that word means is he was left. He was walked off from. The Bible says he came into his own. He came into his own and his own received him not. The Bible tells us very shortly after this, all of the 12 will have abandoned Jesus. Now I want you to think about that. Here he is. And, and here he is in great suffering. And here he is and everything's at the crux. And his eyes look up to see who's in the crowd. And his eyes lift. And he is absolutely alone. All that he can hear are the voices of the enemies. He is abandoned. You ever been abandoned, deserted, 
Oh, the, the hurt of that. Jesus is abandoned. Maybe worse is the second word. And that is the word betrayed. Jesus is betrayed. Now, betrayed, if you look it up in the original language in the Greek, it means this. To give over to an enemy, listen, from close beside. To give over to an enemy from close beside. Another definition, an act of unfaithfulness violating a trust from someone near to you. Another definition, to injure with treachery, to set out to injure them, to seek treachery. You ever been betrayed? Thought you could count on somebody, they're close to you? That have been farther off, maybe you could have seen it coming, but they're close to you? Jesus is abandoned. Jesus is also betrayed. Here's the irony. Proximity to Jesus didn't change his heart. Now, when I think about that, that's, that's very ironic. What a, what, what a great irony that is. You know what? If I could just be close to Jesus, if I could just hear the, the teachings of Jesus, oh, give me three years to travel with Jesus. What if I could see the miracles of Jesus? Listen, proximity to Jesus did not change his heart. He was chosen. He saw. He heard. He knew Jesus. Now, this is the crazy thing. He knew him. He knew his character. He knew his power. He knew his heart. He actually knew Jesus. He intimately knew Jesus, and yet his heart was not with Jesus. Today, people appear to be one thing. They claim the things of Christ. Maybe they sing the songs of Christ. They know all the words of Christ. But just like Judas, their hearts aren't with him. That's the hypocrisy of the day we're living in. We allow people to come and to go and to sing those songs of Christ and to pronounce the words of Christ, but their hearts are not with Christ. The irony of irony is he was one of the number of the 12. He was one of them. Proximity to Christ didn't change his heart. Now, I want you to be sure of this before we move on. Satan came into Judas, but he, he could do it because Judas invited him in. Now, I want you to be sure of that. It wasn't against his will. It wasn't he was handpicked and he, he moved into him. It wasn't against his will. Judas's heart, as you read the gospel accounts, it wasn't with Christ. And so Satan sees the opportunity. Satan seizes that opportunity and he swept in and he entered into Judas. But it wasn't against Judas's will. His heart wasn't with Christ. Third irony today is the irony of Satan. The irony of Satan. Now be sure and see this today. Verse three says, and Satan entered in. And Satan entered in to Judas. The last time we directly hear of Satan is all the way back in Luke chapter four. Back in Luke chapter four, verse 13, after the tempting 
of Jesus, after the devil tempting Jesus and having failed in that attempt, verse 13 of chapter 4 says this, And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. What that means is this, he came and he tempted Christ and he failed in his temptations and so Satan was wise, Satan knew what to do and so he withdraws from Jesus, it says, until an opportune time. Chapter 22, this is that time. Satan has watched, Satan has scouted, Satan has waited, and now the opportunity presents itself. Now is the opportune time, and so now Satan acts. Folks, be sure today and hear me today. The enemy of redemption is Satan himself. The enemy of salvation is Satan himself. The enemy of God's grace and mercy is Satan himself. Be very sure his goal then was to destroy Jesus, but be just as sure his goal today is to destroy the work of Jesus. His goal today is to lead as many people, and I mean as many people, whatever the means, to plunge headlong into destruction. Satan is the enemy. Now here's the irony of Satan. And, and I think we need, to, we need to restate this and we need to hear this. Satan is not God's counterpart. Sometimes we act like, well, there's God and there's Satan. Well, over here's God and over here's Satan. Satan, listen, is not God's counterpart. Satan is not God's equal, not even close. God is all seeing, Satan is not. God is eternal, from everlasting to everlasting, Satan is not. God is all powerful, oh, he's mighty, he's powerful. God is all powerful, listen, Satan is not. God is infinitely wise, perfectly wise. He knows all things. God is infinitely wise, guess what? Satan is not. God is all present, he's everywhere. Guess what? Satan is not. So here's the irony of Satan. Listen, he doesn't know everything. He can't see everything. He can't be in every place. He's not all powerful. Listen, here's the irony of Satan. He thinks the death of Jesus will be his victory. Did you ever think about that? He, he thinks the death of Jesus will be his great win. He, he thinks that, you know what, when the, when the death of Jesus occurs, if I could just slip in at the opportune time, if I could just take control of Judas and set the ball in motion, and if it ends in Jesus' death, he thinks his death will be his win. He thinks when they nail him to the cross, it is a win for him. As the hammers drive the nails through his hands, he thinks it's a win for him. He sees the blood as it runs out, the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus. His blood starts to run down and drip off the cross and drip into the dirt. Satan sees the blood as it drips and he thinks the blood running out, it's a win for him. He thinks he's pulled it off when Jesus gives his final breath out. Can you imagine how profound that is when the last breath of Jesus goes out. Oh, this wicked heart of Satan's must have leapt. 
Oh, he must have left. His breath goes out. He's dead on the cross. His heart must have left when they stabbed him with the sword and the blood and the water came out. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. Oh, this hated adversary. Oh, this, this, this beacon of light, Jesus. Oh, the incarnation of love. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. He thinks he has a victory. Oh, but the irony is it's in death that his defeat is imminent. It is in death that sin is paid for. It is in the death of Jesus Christ that Satan's fate is sealed. And it is from this death that life springs forth. Listen, the irony of Satan is the irony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The irony of Satan is the irony of the good news You see, it is in humility that Christ is glorified. That doesn't make any sense. It is the cruel cross, the terrible cross, the old rugged cross that there is victory. That doesn't make any sense. And it is in, listen, it is in death. It is in death. It is in the ugliness of death. It is in death that death is defeated. It is in the penalty for sin that sin's penalty is paid. Oh, the irony of that, the outcome that's not expected, the outcome that is contrary to what was anticipated. Listen, Jesus was dead. His blood ran out. Jesus was dead. He breathed his last. Jesus was dead. The grave was full and Satan's plan seems genius. He had seized the opportune time. All seems lost. All seems finished. Jesus is dead. But listen, in power and glory and in irony, right when it seems that Satan is won, out of a grave steps Jesus and he is alive. He is alive. He is alive. Oh, the irony of that. Through death, death is defeated. Through the penalty of sin, the scourge of man, Jesus stands, the penalty is paid, and Jesus is alive. Oh, what an irony. Praise the Lord. Maybe there's one that's greater, and that is this. Listen, here's another irony. We as sinners are lost. I am. You are. We as sinners, we have no way, no way to be right with the holy God. We're lost in our sin. The penalty for for sin is death. I'm going to pay that death. Irony of ironies. A sinful man and a perfect lamb. He offers us his death through faith. No work of my own didn't get cleaned up enough, didn't come to church enough, didn't earn it, no way, no how, I couldn't. The irony of irony, the powerful, gracious redeemer offers us his death by faith, his righteousness by faith. Irony of irony. Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you put your faith in Christ? Listen, those folks knew the words. Those folks knew all the steps. Have you put your faith in Christ? Has there been a day when you were so grieved in your sin that you couldn't take it anymore, so saddened that you cried out for a Savior? Oh, Jesus, save me, forgive me. Have you put your faith in Christ? If you have not, listen, 
Irony of irony, his grace is offered today. Settle it today. Settle it today. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I am astounded. I am amazed that through death, I hate death, I've had enough death. Through death, death is defeated. Through the penalty of sin, death, the payment for sin is made. I'm, I'm amazed that my perfect Savior, Jesus, he didn't earn a death, he never sinned. And he pays it, it's finished, it's reconciled, it's right. I'm amazed that you offer that to sinners through your grace by faith. Lord, I pray, first thing, rejoicing over that. I praise you for that. I lift the name of Jesus high. I'm thankful for his grace shown to me. Second thing is this. I pray if there's one that doesn't know Christ, I pray that today, this day, they would leave with it a settled fact. Lord, I pray that you would lead them, that your spirit would draw them, that the, the, the truth of the word proclaimed would convict them. And I pray that they stand today at a crossroads. I pray that the hindrances, the barriers will be removed. And today, knowing you're patient and kind, that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, we come today and I'm so thankful for you and I praise you and I worship you. I ask, Lord, in this time of invitation that you'd freely move that you wouldn't be hindered, that you would lead. I pray that decisions be made that will be to the glory of, of your son, Jesus. So I ask that you move in this time of invitation. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We thank you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.